0: are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Good afternoon, everybody. This is David Guzik, and I'm very pleased that you could join us for today's YouTube uh, question and answer time. And this is one of the times where I won't have a lead question. Instead, we're going to do what we commonly call just ask me anything. In other words, that just means it's any question that you want to ask, we'll take the questions, and our moderator, Devin, will assemble them and pass them on to me, and I'll deal with the questions the best I can. I don't claim for a moment to have the answer to every question anyone might have about the Bible or the Christian life, Uh, But maybe I can help with a few things, or at least give you my perspective, my opinion. Um, If you know uh, any of my work, it might be through a Bible commentary that I have online. I have a verse-by-verse commentary on the entire Bible available online, both at my own website, uh, EnduringWord.com, and at Blue Letter Bible, which is a fantastic Bible resource offering Greek and Hebrew and many, many different commentaries, not only my own, and all sorts of wonderful, wonderful, amazing Bible resources. So uh, that's what we do on a day. You give us the questions that you have in the afternoon. Now, today is a special day, not only because it is just uh, right before Christmas. Today is December 23rd, but because today we're doing an extra special giveaway, I mean, after all, Christmas is the time for giving gifts, is it not? So we want to give a gift to you. And let me say, first of all, that this is for any of our viewers, our live viewers, who can give us a postal address. So uh, some of our previous giveaways, we've said that you have to be within the United States for this giveaway. Anybody who can give us a postal address, doesn't matter where you are in the world, if you can give us a postal address, you can enter into today's giveaway which will be randomly chosen, and here's the prize for today. It's a complete set of my New Testament commentaries in print. So most people that use my Bible commentary use it online, because you can get it online absolutely free at EnduringWord.com or at BlueLetterBible.BLB.org. BLB.org. Uh, but there are some people who like to use or favor the use of books in print, And so we do offer uh, many of my commentaries, not the entire through the Bible, but we're working on it. We offer these commentaries print. We do have a complete edition of the New Testament commentary. So here's an example of the kind of books you would get: Luke, Mark, Revelation, uh, First and Second Timothy, the Pastoral Epistles. You'll get a complete set of the New Testament commentary. Again, that's valued at um, I don't know. I think something like two hundred dollars, more than two hundred dollars, if you not even counting shipping. If you were to buy the volumes individually, we're going to give this away to one of our viewers today. Uh, all you have to do is uh, first of all like, subscribe. Of course, we love it if you do that stuff. Um, but then also give us uh, where you're from. Give us your name. Just your first name is fine. You don't have to put your uh, second, you know, your surname, your last name. Uh, in the live chat, but give us your first name, tell us where you're viewing from, and you must hang around till the end of the uh, live Q&A, because at the end, we're gonna randomly select our particular live viewer, uh, and then we're going to contact that person so that they can give us their postal address. Uh, Again, I just wanna make sure that you understand you don't need to put your postal address, you don't need to put your surname. All we need to know is some kind of name or handle. Even you can use a screen name if you like. But we would also like to know where you're viewing from. Look, it's a little bit of a selfish desire why we want to know where you're viewing from. Because uh, we have a heart for God's work and for God's people all over the world. And one of the things I love about what we do both here on our uh, weekly YouTube question and answer and what we do through the commentary ministry as a whole is we have a ministry to the entire world. We love the global reach that God has given us. So uh, we love to hear where you're from, whether you're from a particular city or state in the United States, whether you're from one of the provinces of Canada, whether you're from one of the states of Mexico, whether you're from uh, Europe, South America, Africa, Asia, wherever it is. Look, if there's anybody here right now on the live chat from Antarctica, we wanna hear from you. So let us know your name and a screen name is good enough, where you're viewing from. All those will be collected during our time together and they will be randomly chosen to uh, receive by mail, by post, uh, an entire set of my New Testament commentaries. Uh, let, let me say one more thing about that: is if you want the details, the kind of the intricate details, I don't know the disclaimers and such, look at the video details right now, the video description on YouTube, and you'll be able to sort that out. Now, I do also want to say a, a great big welcome to our TWR 360 audience. Welcome. Uh, we're so grateful for our connection with this wonderful ministry, Trans World Radio and their online expression, TWR360. God bless you. Merry Christmas to our TWR360 family. We're so pleased that you could join us today. So uh, that's it for right now. Uh, Let me see if we have any questions. If not, I could talk about a few other things. But yes, uh, I've received a few questions uh, from you through our moderator, Devin, who's forwarding them on to me. Uh, here's a question from, oh, by the way, too, I I said this in the live chat, but I wanted we're prioritizing today questions about Christmas. Uh, I'm not saying those are the only questions we're going to deal with today, but those are going to be the questions that we give priority to. So, uh, here's the first one from, excuse me, Destin, who asks, should we get our kids to believe in Santa? Well, Destin, uh, that's a good question. Um, There is a early childhood belief in um, things that aren't real. Uh, Young children can believe in Santa Claus the tooth fairy, uh, elves, giants, you know, uh, in the world today, on and on. And, you know, you you could just talk about things. I personally don't see great harm. Uh, I understand there may be wonderful believers who strongly disagree with me. I I would respect, friend, I would respect your judgment with your children, with your family. And I, I wouldn't dream of questioning it if somebody gave a contradictory opinion to me on this and say, well, I'm not going to do it the way David suggests with my family, fine, I wouldn't I wouldn't protest in this. I think God gives us wisdom and capability with our own family in these things. But I would simply say this, that I don't see the harm in allowing young children to have some sense of make-believe, to have some sense of, uh, you know there are strange and mysterious things out there in the world. I I just don't see great harm in that. Now, I think that's something only appropriate for young children. And I I couldn't give you an exact age, seven, eight, nine years old. As they get older, it's good for them to to learn the definite difference between make-believe things and real things. And, And Children, as they become older, they should understand that Santa belongs to the world of make-believe things. And you could even, with the Santa story, use it as a great uh, entree to teach them about uh, St. Nicholas, and uh, excuse me, uh, the the real St. Nicholas, Uh, that man who was a courageous uh, stalwart for the truth, uh, for the ancient councils when there was great controversy over the deity of Jesus Christ uh, in the time of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed. Um, So these are things that can be done, but I I just say for myself, I I don't see there being harm and there being some good, actually. I do see some good in allowing young children to have a sense of make-believe and then for them to understand as they get older the difference between the make-believe world, and the uh, older world. Now, again, Destin, let me just say, th- that's my opinion. I think these are perhaps things that the scriptures don't speak specifically about. So I, I would trust the judgment of every individual family to figure these things out for themselves. Very good. Uh, Junebug Bug asks this question. Uh, Pastor Guzik, I've heard it said that God will redeem all things, but how is that possible we know that not all of mankind will be redeemed and certainly not Satan or the other fallen angels. Junebug, your question about God redeeming all things, I I don't know if that's exactly, I I think through it now. I I just want you to understand, Junebug. Many times we preachers or pastors or Bible teachers, we speak in what I might call shorthand. We use phrases and expressions that, if you really drill down on them, may not be the best way to state it. We're we're, we're trying to get at something that's true and biblical, but maybe we we don't phrase it in the best way. And let me explain to you what I mean by that in this. I don't believe that God will redeem all things, but I do believe that God will resolve all things. Everything will be resolved. Everything will put, be put in its right place. So those who reject the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ will be put in their right place. Their status, their condition will be resolved. Satan will be put in his right place. So I I would more technically say that all things will be resolved in Jesus Christ, put in their proper place. More than I would use the expression, all things will be redeemed. Uh, Redeemed kind of gives the idea of saved. And and we know that the Bible teaches us that Satan, for example— That uh, the Antichrist, as it says in the book of Revelation, that the false prophet who promotes the work of the Antichrist, this uh, ungodly trinity from hell, will be resigned to Gehenna, the lake of fire, forever and ever. That will be their resolution. So they won't be redeemed in the sense of being purchased out from darkness and brought into the light but their status will be resolved. And so again, I I think many times when pastors or preachers might throw out that idea that all things will be redeemed in Jesus, probably what they mean is that all things will be resolved, but maybe they're just being a little bit sloppy in their speaking. And look, I'm, I'm not too hard on myself. I'm not too hard on others when they speak in this um, sloppy. I mean, it's just, but, but we need to take the time out and, 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 uh, and understand the issue for what it really is. So I hope that makes some sense to you there, Junebug. Good question. And again, the question was, I've heard it said that God will redeem all things, but how is that possible? We know not all mankind will be redeemed and certainly not Satan or the other fallen angels. All things will be resolved, not necessarily redeemed. Amanda Rao says, asks, how do we worship in spirit and truth? Can you give an example? Well, Amanda, I think I could give some kind of general examples. Jesus said in John chapter four, I just realized I don't have my normal Bible out here. Uh, John chapter four, let me look that up. Oh, good heavens, I have a, German Bible queued up here. Let me go to the normal translation that I use. Normally, I use the King James Version, and I'll go to John chapter 4, where Jesus, speaking to the uh, woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, says, starting in verse 23 of John chapter 4, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And, you know, if I were to describe what it means to worship God in spirit, it means that there's an aspect of our worship that must be truly spiritual. In other words, it's not all about the material, but rather the essence of worship is about what is um, spiritual in nature. Uh, Some people need every material thing to be absolutely correct in their mind before they can worship God. Uh, The lighting in the room must be a certain way. Uh, The ambiance in the room must have a certain effect. The uh, musical style must be a certain musical style. Uh, The volume must be a certain level, not too loud, not too soft. Uh, The chairs or the pews or whatever, they must have a certain, you know, the room must be a certain way. Listen, all those things are material things. And the essence of worship is not found in those material things. The essence of worship is found in what we offer up to God in spirit. So when there's too great of an emphasis on all the material aspects of worship, friends, that's dangerous. That that shows that there's a very uh, difficult and, um, you know, just not healthy thing. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, that means that we must worship God in a way that's consistent with who he actually is. Who is God? Well, he's the God that's revealed to us in the Bible, in the Holy Scriptures. That is the God who truly is. So we must do everything we can, and look, we admit no one does this perfectly, but we must endeavor to do it to the best of our ability, that we worship God as, not as we imagine him to be, not as the culture necessarily tells, he is, tells us he is, not as we wish he was, but as the Bible reveals himself to us. That is the God who actually exists. And therefore, uh, that's the God whom we worship. So, worship God in spirit. Worship him in truth. Uh, we shouldn't be singing false things about God. Now, I will say this about singing false things about God. Um, we should allow some measure of poetic license in the songs that we sing. Uh, Maybe not much, maybe just a little bit, but but there should be some measure of poetic license. Um, So allowing for that, the songs we sing about God uh, must be true. The things we say in our worship must be according to his word. So really, uh, Amanda, that's the best way I would describe what it means for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Next question comes from N. And let me just remind everybody today, I think lots of you are doing it here in our live chat, but I don't mind reminding you. Uh, If you want to be entered in to our giveaway for a complete set of all my New Testament commentaries in print... You can get the commentary for nothing online. Uh, But if you want it in print, we're doing a giveaway today. You need to let us know uh, your name or screen name, your second name or surname, your last name isn't necessary, but a name or screen name and where you're from. Uh, Like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, by all means, uh, please uh, let us know where you're from and we'll enter you into a random drawing you can look at the details of this particular YouTube video to uh, get the uh, the uh, all the details on. You can look at the description, I should say, of this YouTube video to get all the details for this. All right, next question from N. What does Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God mean? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, again, that verse simply says what uh, N described, that our life is hidden with God. And you know what, And you've sort of piqued my curiosity here. I'm going to go to my commentary on Colossians chapter 3 and take a look at what it says there in uh, verse 3, where it says, um, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ, with God. This is something that God's redeemed people realize. Jesus is... Okay, let's notice the whole context here. Let me read to you the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Okay, so get the idea. We're raised with Christ, and we should seek after the things that exist where Christ is, as he continues, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Okay, think of it this way. There is a sense in which right now, Jesus Christ is hidden from the world. Now look, it's not an absolute sense because we would certainly say there is a sense in which Jesus Christ is quite evident to the world. But certainly there's a sense in which right now Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven. We can't see him with the physical eye. He is enthroned in heaven, risen, seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. And he is hidden. Well, as Paul says here, Our citizenship is in heaven. Our identification with Christ is in heaven. There's a real sense in which Christ is enthroned in glory. We are in him. We are raised with him to heavenly places. Our life is found in those heavenly things more than it is in earthly things. Now, look, we understand that the Bible teaches us a very practical Christian faith, we live in a real world and we're connected to the real world. Nevertheless, our very practical Christian faith is, in fact, connected to a heavenly connection that we have with Jesus Christ who's hidden from the world's view right now. Even as Jesus Christ is enthroned and somewhat hidden from the world, we are in him in that sense. So our life should be vitally connected to Jesus Christ enthroned in the heavens. He abides in us. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are very much identified with and connected to the enthroned Jesus Christ in heaven. And that's the best way I would explain that off the cuff. I hope that's helpful to you there. Bob asks a question, who is the statue of the girl in red, in the red dress on your shelf? Okay, Bob, good question. Observant there. Let me take this down. This is a statue that uh, my wife got some years ago. It is based on a famous painting by the Swedish painter Karl Larsson. And this is sort of an iconic Swedish Christmas figure, I guess you could say. Uh, now, not so much the statue, but the painting. The painting by the famous Swedish artist, Carl Larsson, who has beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, this is a statue made from that painting. And this is a Swedish girl. Uh, we love the style of Carl Larsson and his paintings. Uh, has a bag full of apples there, uh, there at Christmas time, She's sort of dressed with some of the motif from the north with like the shoes that she's wearing and such. But again, uh, this is from the famous... So I, I put that up in opposition to uh, some of my normal figurines that I would put up, such as the Charles Spurgeon bobblehead or the uh, Catherine uh, von Boren-Luther uh, bobblehead or Billy Graham or whoever else have. because, hey, it's Christmas. You'll also see over here on this side, I th- uh, it can't be seen. It's just outside of the view. Oh, no, wait, it could be seen, but it fell down. Hold on while I pick this up. This fell down here, but it's a little pillow that says in Swedish, uh, well, the Swedish equivalent of Merry Christmas, Gudjul, is what it says. And that's how Swedish people say, look, we always have a very Swedish Christmas, not because I'm ethnically Swedish, but because my wife, Ingelil is. And uh, for many, many years, we've enjoyed the beautiful celebration of Christmas with a Swedish flair, a Swedish personality. So... I uh, hope that answers that question for you there, Bob. Uh, next question comes from Char, who asks, did the Magi visit Jesus on the day of his birth or at a later time? Char, uh, he they definitely visited Jesus at a later time. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that they visited Jesus on the night that he was born. And what it seems is that they saw this unique star, whatever that uh, astronomical figure was in the sky, a convergence of planets, some kind of meteor, something expressly put up there by God, we don't know. But they saw this unique feature of astronomy on the night that Jesus was born and whatever it was, it helped them mark their journey from the East, which would have been the ancient Persian Empire, uh, probably today, modern day Iran, or maybe Iraq. Uh, but from the Persian Empire, they came and they traveled to Bethlehem. And what's interesting is when they met with Herod or Herod's representatives, and Herod, in his murderous rage, sought to to uh, kill children who might be potential threats to his throne. He had murdered in the region of Bethlehem all the boys two years old and younger, which leads us to believe that even if you you gave sort of what you might call a margin of error, that they probably came several months, maybe even up to a year after the time that Jesus was born. So there's no evidence at all that the Magi came the night that Jesus was born. I talked about this once in a uh, Christmas Eve sermon, and a dear woman named Carolyn came up to me afterwards and pointed out that uh, when she was growing up in her home, her father, who was a wonderful believer, her father, when he would arrange the nativity, would always put the wise men on the other side of the room, because he would want to point out they weren't there the night Jesus was born, but they were afar off and came in later. I thought that was a cute way to express that. So the Magi did not visit Jesus on the day of his birth, but rather any time. I mean, you could just speculate six months, a year, 18 months. I don't think it could have been much more than two years. Uh, Okay, next question comes from David, who asks... Uh, the scriptures do not mention that there were three wise men. It is assumed because there were three gifts of them, because there were three gifts mentioned. Absolutely, that is correct. Now, I don't know if um, in this particular thing, if I uh, said um, in a thing, I don't remember that I particularly said that there were three. If I did say three wise men, that I was speaking purely out of habit and out of custom, not out of the Bible. But David, you're absolutely correct. The Bible does not tell us how many wise men or magi there were. It does tell us that there were three gifts, of course, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And people have speculated that there were three wise men because of the three gifts. By the way, According to Roman Catholic legends, the skulls of those three wise men are contained in an elaborate box that sits on the altar of the Roman Catholic cathedral uh, in Cologne, Germany, the Kölner Dom. Uh, of course, that's not the real skulls. We don't know how many wise. we don't know their names. People even say they know their names. But just as a mark of historical interest, if you ever visit uh, the German city of Cologne, Cologne, uh, it's a marvelous city to visit. And you you must see the cathedral, the the dome, uh, if you visit there. But uh, take a look there at the altar and the golden box that's on the altar. It's said to be the three skulls of the wise men. But of course, it's not the case. It's just a tradition or superstition, if you will. Okay, Daniel asked this question. Does Christmas have any connection with the Jewish Festival of Lights, which is often called Hanukkah? Um, Daniel, no, it really doesn't. Seasonally, it's connected there. But let me say, let me make a connection between Christmas and the Jewish Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. Um, Hanukkah is not a holiday or a feast that's found anywhere in the Old Testament. The events that are commemorated at Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, happened in the time period after the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, after it was compiled. It refers to God's miraculous provision of oil, fuel for the lights to rededicate the temple in Jerusalem after it was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, it's a beautiful story. Now, what I think is interesting is there's scriptural evidence in the Gospel of John that Jesus recognized Hanukkah. It talks about him being in Jerusalem for the festival of the dedication, and that would be Hanukkah. That's a way that they would refer to it in New Testament times. So here's what I'm trying to get at. Jesus commemorated a Jewish holiday that was not commanded in the Hebrew scriptures, but commemorated something that, to me, that gives allowance for Christians who would like to commemorate uh, Christmas. Because, look, let's face it, the Bible gives absolutely no command for Christians to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus. The Bible doesn't give us a date for the birth of Jesus, doesn't give us a command, it doesn't tell us how to celebrate it. And so for that reason, there have been some Christians who have said, we should not celebrate Christmas. Now look, I I think we have freedom in Jesus Christ. If you want to celebrate Christmas, you have liberty. And I think Jesus's participation in the festival of dedication that we would also know as Hanukkah, as detailed for us in the Gospel of John, his participation in that gives us the principle that it's okay to commemorate things that really happened but aren't necessarily commanded to be commemorated. It's okay. I don't think it's commanded, but it's okay to do it. So Daniel, that's the only connection I would make between Hanukkah or the Jewish Festival of Lights and Christmas. That these are both, if you will, extra biblical uh celebrations that are permitted. So, that's how I would explain it. Uh, Tim gives the question, did King Herod ever find out if the Magi found Jesus alive? Uh, I would say, Tim, no. Uh, Herod must have died shortly after this, and I would think that Herod probably assumed that whoever it was that the magi sought after, that the magi said magi's, but whoever it was that the magi sought after, would have been killed in the slaughter of the innocents commanded by King Herod. Uh, my guess, again, we we don't have, we're speculating a bit here. I I hope you understand that, Daniel or excuse me, Tim. Uh, So I hope you understand that. But my speculation would be that, again, um, he wouldn't have known because, number one, he died shortly after, and he would have had good reason to assume that they were killed in the slaughter of the innocents. Okay, Amanda asks a question. What's your favorite family... Christmas tradition? Well, Amanda, uh, that's a wonderful question, if I could say. Um, let me describe it like this. There are many, many wonderful Christmas traditions that we have in the Guzik household. Uh, one of them is simply decorating the tree. Now, I know that's before Christmas. We decorated the tree a couple of weeks ago. But man, that's just wonderful. We, we have a very Swedish-looking Christmas tree. Uh, simple ornaments, but beautiful. And that's just a very special time. Decorating the home for Christmas is special. Now, of course, a Swedish Christmas celebration focuses a lot on the Christmas table, the Yule board. And so the Christmas meal, uh, the series of meals that you have through the day uh, with special foods, uh, that's always very special. Uh, opening presents is fun for our grandchildren. So the delight that they have. Uh, but most of all, we would just say that it's having family together. For us, I can tell you, Amanda, that one of the favorite parts about Christmas for us this year is for the first time in many years, our whole family, uh, immediate family, will be together. Uh, I have three adult children. Their ages are 35, 33, and uh, 30. And uh, it's been many years, a good seven or eight years, since we've all been together in person for a Christmas. Of course, we've been able to join each other by FaceTime and all of that. Uh, But it is pretty special for us to have all our immediate family, our children and our grandchildren uh, together for Christmas. So I'll be there with my three children, my daughter and my two sons, our dear daughter-in-law and our two grandchildren, having family close by is uh, very special. You get to be my age and you realize that it's a special thing to have your whole immediate family gathered around a table. It doesn't happen very often for us. And so when it does, it's a real special treat. Okay, thank you for that question there, uh, Amanda. Joyce asked this question. Uh, both Matthew chapter 1, verse 23... And Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, referred to the Savior's name as Emmanuel. Why was he never called that after his birth? Well, Joyce, I think what you need to understand is that the idea of a name in the scriptures, uh, in these ancient Near Eastern cultures, I mean, this wasn't just true of Old Testament culture, but it was true of the neighbors around Israel. It was just a cultural thing at that time that someone's name was much more than a handle by which they were given. A a name was a very powerful representation of a person's character, who they were, what kind of person they were. And so, when it says in Isaiah prophetically, and then the fulfillment given of in Matthew chapter 1, that his name will be called Emmanuel, it doesn't mean that that would be his literal name that he would be given, but rather that describes his character, his person, who he was. Because again, the idea of a name being much more... Now, when I was growing up, it was a very old saying or figure of speech when I was young. So I imagine to now it's like non-existent. But, you know, in America, you you, you would say of somebody, his name is Mud. Uh, there's some interesting cultural background to that expression. But basically would say that person has a bad name. His name is Mud. You, know, you, you never meant by that, that people go around calling them uh, Mr. Mud or Mrs. Mud. But what you meant by that is, they have a name associated with a very bad reputation. So uh, this is something of the sense behind the phrasing in Isaiah chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter 1 that his name will be called Emmanuel. I'm going to make one more mention here uh, just for a minute or two uh, regarding the giveaway that we're going to do pretty shortly. Uh, I can't tell you exactly when. That's up to uh, our moderator um, Devin and our uh, I don't know operational director Andrea. But we're going to give away a series of my New Testament print commentaries. This is for anybody who has a postal address. Our previous giveaways have been for people only in the United States. Listen, uh, if you are outside the United States, it's going to take you maybe another week to get these books, maybe two weeks, but you'll get them uh, for our United States. If somebody from the United States is randomly chosen in this drawing that we'll have pretty soon, if somebody's chosen from the United States, we're going to send them to you priority mail today. You'll, you'll, uh, uh, that box will be put in the mail to you today and you'll get them within a few days, of course. Uh, so what you need to do is subscribe, like the video. You need to also, uh, give us your name or a screen name. You need to tell us where you're from, but especially you need to hang on to the end so that we can contact you through the live chat. And as we contact you for the live chat, we will of course, um, get your postal address, uh, by email and send these books off to you uh, today. Okay. Uh, Our next question comes from Rita, who asks, Can you please explain this verse, please and thanks? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, uh, Joanne, may I say, that is a tremendous verse. Uh, I'm just going to look that up here in uh, the commentary Colossians chapter 2 verse 19. By the way, we recently have done a great video and I don't know when we're going to release it exactly, but having to do with me talking about that verse, I do want to make our YouTube listeners uh, or viewers know we're going to release a special Christmas five or six minute video tomorrow on our YouTube channel. I think it's just something that will be uh, bright near Christmas. It will, uh, it's me narrating some thoughts about Christmas and has a beautiful visual presence. So please take a look at that tomorrow. Uh, it'll be released out on our YouTube channel. Our subscribers will receive a notification of it. Uh, here we have this verse, uh, Colossians chapter two, verse nine, which again reads simply, let me go back to it. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, first of all, I would say, Rita, that it tells us that Jesus Christ is God. Any being who has all the fullness, think about both those terms, all and the fullness, together it tells us absolutely comprehensively, whatever God is, it is contained in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not some junior God or lesser God. He is God. And of course, we understand this is part of the wonder of the amazement of the Trinity, that God the Father has all the fullness of the Godhead. God the Son has all the fullness. the God the Holy Spirit has. There's one God in three persons, but in no sense is Jesus Christ a lesser partner in the Godhead. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily. Now, I don't have any doubt that Paul wrote that to answer or to refute some of the false teaching that was coming before the believers in Colossae. That teaching would have been something of an early form, sort of a pre-Gnosticism, that would have not had much appreciation for Jesus Christ bodily. That's why Paul says, notice this, "...for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." In other words, there is a tendency for some people to think that because Jesus Christ had a real flesh and blood body, that somehow he was less as God. And and Paul is answering and saying, no, that's not true at all. We, We don't buy that division between the body and the spirit that says, um, there's nothing good or nothing godly in the body. No, no, body is affected by the fall, but that, that's fallen humanity. That's not the perfect humanity of Jesus Christ. So, so those are some of my thoughts there, Rita. I would recommend to you again, I do have some audio teaching through the book of Colossians on our website. If you go to enduringword.com, go to the media menu up top and just select audio teaching you can find my audio teaching through uh, the book of Colossians, and I think that may be of some benefit to you, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Al asks the question, uh, what's your view on healing a sick body? Do you think it's possible to still get healed? Well, Al, it's perfectly possible. God still heals people today. And I'll tell you my understanding of this. I believe that absolute perfect healing was provided for the believer by the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially what he did at the cross and in his sufferings. By his stripes, we are healed. Now, the perfection of that healing is given to us in our resurrection. Ultimately, the Christian will never face sickness or death or weakness in any way. We will have a bodily perfection in the resurrection. Now, God delights to sort of give a preview of that work in what we might call, you know, acts of healing that come before the resurrection. And so I believe, I've seen, I know that God heals people today. He doesn't necessarily heal every person in every circumstance. Sometimes He heals people, and we go, Well, God, why did you do that? And there's other times when it seems that God does not immediately heal somebody and we think, um, wow, Lord, why why didn't you do that? We don't have the answers to all those questions, but God remains a miracle-working God. right, let me continue on. Diane has a question and asks, who all gets judged When God judges everyone, if he forgets our sins when we are saved. Well, okay, Diane, here is the idea. Because of the principle that you're talking about, there are many people who believe that when the book of Revelation describes what we call the great white throne judgment uh, in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, I think it's in chapter 20, but when it describes this great white throne judgment, That that concerns only, um, it concerns only those who are not rescued in Jesus Christ. If you want to use the thing saved or have salvation in Jesus. Now, everyone will face some kind of judgment. Because those who are the people of God will face a judgment of their lives, The Bible says that we will face um, the the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And so the fruitfulness of our lives, but that is not a judgment for eternity. That's not a judgment of our sins. That's a judgment relevant to reward. And so we will um, each face some kind of judgment but believers will not be judged on the basis of their sins. I hope that's helpful for you there, Diane. Uh, and then we've got a question here from Casey. This is our last question for today. And after I answer this question, we're going to announce our winner here. Um, oh, excuse me, I got two more questions here. Uh, Casey asked a question. Uh, could you help me understand what a homemaker is from Titus chapter 2, verse 5? What does this look like culturally, and are there biblical examples of this, Titus chapter two, verse five, that uh, the women should train other we to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Uh, Casey, I, I would say this: that the, the place of a woman in a home, a, a wife, a mother, if you want to use those terms is not exactly the same as the place of a man, of a husband, of a father. A a woman, as a wife and mother, has her own things to contribute to the making of a home. There is a sense in which, generally speaking, again, we're speaking in generalities. I hope we can speak in generalities. If we can't speak in generalities anymore, then we really can't say anything. But if we speak in generalities, we understand that uh, women tend to set sort of the, the, the temperature of the home. Um, a, a, a wife can bring so much light and, uh, as a wife and a mother and, and vitality and creativeness, creativity. And that now, again, we're not trying to say for a moment that it's impossible for men uh, as husbands and fathers to do this but just in a general way of speaking um women cherish and build and and make the atmosphere of a home and this is something that the bible says that uh older women in the church should be training younger women on how to do now again you know there's so many pitfalls potentially you you can talk about well does that mean that a woman, a Christian woman who is not married or doesn't have children, that she's... No, nobody's saying that such women are worthless. And that's a crazy thought. But, but the majority of Christian women will be married and will have children. It's been that way through the centuries, and it's even true today. They have a particular role in making a home making a home a vital, godly, comfortable, nourishing, restoring place for their husband, for their children. And again, I, again I, I feel like I have to give so many caveats. This doesn't mean that the husband has no role in this, of course, but the wife has a vital, essential role. I, I think that's the first way that I would address that. Um, and I think that the way, I think that was true culturally in Bible times, and I think it's true culturally uh, in many ways today, or whether or not it's true culturally, I think it should be true. that A Christian wife and mother should say, God, how do you want me to contribute to making my home a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of blessedness, a place of laughter, a place of happiness, a place of, of uh, that honors you? How do you want me to make the home? All right, last question here before we get to the announcement of our um, uh, winner here. Uh, let's see here. Um, does a uh, soul star gives this question? Does the Christmas tree go back to the uh, groves of Astra? Is that bowing down to an idol? Uh, no. I just says, The Christmas tree doesn't go back to there. It doesn't go back to the groves. Now it's true that different cultures uh, in biblical times, in biblical places, and beyond biblical places, have uh, announced, or, or have used trees in pagan worship, sometimes sexually immoral worship. Uh, but that isn't the origin of the Christmas tree, which I understand the Christmas tree originated with Martin Luther. I think there's a few different ideas or legends, but no, the historical development of the Christmas tree really has nothing to do with uh, pagan religions of Bible times or any other time. So whether or not you want to have a Christmas tree, look, you're free to have a Christmas tree in Christ. You're free not to have one, but no, I, I do not believe it's true at all, even though there's people who make these claims I don't think those claims have a solid historical foundation. So that was our last question. Let me get on to announcing our winner. It's Teresa Anahui from Newport, Washington. Congratulations, Teresa. You are the winner of our uh, New Testament commentary. I want to thank everybody who was a part of it. It's our special gift to give uh, one of our viewers here today. I think that coming into the new year, we're going to do many, many more giveaways. This is something that we really delight in doing. So I want to thank Teresa. Uh, Teresa, please contact our staff. I don't know if it's going to be Devin or Andrea that does it, but contact the staff at the email address given to you, and we will send those out to you today by priority mail once we have your postal address. Um, I want to say to everybody... I hope that you have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Uh, I believe that we will. Um, I hope that your family is healthy. I hope that your family is uh, in love with Jesus. And I hope that those in your family who don't know Jesus yet will get to know him more and more and that you'll be able to love them in the name of Jesus. We do plan on having a Q&A next year, uh, next year, next week, one more before the year's end. Who knows? Maybe we'll do a giveaway then. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And um, thank you to our wonderful staff, both Devin and Andrea, who made the giveaway, and Annie as well, who made the giveaway work. And uh, Teresa Anahui of uh, Washington, the state of Washington, congratulations on winning. And uh, we hope that you're blessed by this. God bless you, everybody. Uh, We hope to join you again next week. Join us. Thank you and God bless you, bye-bye. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.